So we are week three in this uh, series, The Armor of God. Uh, you can go on the website if you missed any of them. We've got a year and a half worth of um, sermons on there. Thanks to Tony, he takes care of all, of all that. And today I just want to talk about uh, the gospel of peace. And we should have our feet firmly planted in the truth of the gospel. And that should bring, a, bring us peace, that peace that Paul says transcends all understanding. Our key passage is found in Ephesians 6, talking about the spiritual battle. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fit it with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so it's the battle, the spiritual battle, and are you in uh, that spiritual battle? Um, I was talking to Tony about, you know, uh, the, some of the things that I encounter with what I do. Uh, I, do this, I do the hospice job because it's really a ministry, and I'm just uh, blessed to have the opportunity to go in and out of people's homes. Uh, I see a lot of people with no faith, and some have very strong faith on Friday, I got a call to go up to um, uh, Vineland, and the couple are, uh, they're, they're Spanish, and they're Seventh-day Adventist. And in the Spanish culture, uh, the families are usually pretty large. He has 13, he had 13 children, um, but the families are knitted strongly together, and especially when somebody is sick, they come alongside. They don't want to use our aids. They want to use, they want to do everything. Uh, themselves. So I got called to, uh, one of my guys was uh, getting close uh, to dying, so I went out there. And it was a, a one-bedroom. It's in a, it was low-income senior housing in, in Vineland. It was one bedroom, one bathroom, like a half of a kitchen, and then one little living area. And I got, I got there, and I counted 37, 37 people were visiting this guy. And they were in there, and they were, and they were singing, um, singing hymns. And it was just a blessing. I went there with my nurse and my music therapist. And that's something we try to do, get there when the folks are getting close uh, to dying. And those kind of opportunities are a blessing. Now, on the other hand, uh, we have, whenever you're dealing with the gospel, you're getting, into that spirit, you're getting into that spiritual battle. And when you're out there in the world, you're on the front lines, especially if, you're, if, you're, if your goal is evangelism. Uh, it's Satan's domain. He's going to try to stop you any way that he can. So I had a call uh, last year to go down. And this was the most disturbing encounter I think I've ever had in my pastoral career. So I got called to go down to the Crest Haven Nursing Home to do hospice education and then sign legal documents. And then the nurse will come and evaluate the, the, the patient. So I got there and there was a family members there, but there was one son and he had changed his name, and it almost sounded like his name was Satan. He just gave me the creeps. I don't know what it was about him, but he was into Eastern mysticism and all this channeling and yoga, and, and it's just we, weird stuff. I just, he just made me uncomfortable spiritually. So the patient is unresponsive, uh, wasn't paying attention to anybody, what anybody was saying. He had his mask on. He was breathing heavily. He had all the signs that he wasn't going to make another 48 hours. And, and you know, in the, in the uh, folks that I have seen over the years, you kind of get an idea of how close uh, they're getting. So they said, can you call the priest for uh, anointing of the sick, also known as last rites, but they changed it to anointing of the sick. So I called. Uh, I called the, the priest and he said, I'll be there in about, in about an hour. So I went back in and talked to the, to the family and um, they said, will you mind praying? 
uh, while we're waiting for the priest. And I said, oh, sure, no problem. And this is where I use the opportunity for the gospel. So when I get into a room and there's whoever's there, I am praying the gospel message out loud. So they're hearing it, and that's what God will use. That'll get down into their hearts. So it's almost, like a, it's almost like a free pulpit, if you will. So I read some scripture. Now remember, this guy is, is unresponsive. I read the scripture, and I'm praying, and I said, something's not right. I opened my eyes, and he was looking at me, and he was literally growling. And he was trying to grab my, uh, my ID, and he was almost like he was screaming through this mask. It was so disturbing. I finished. I walked out of the room, and I had to gather myself. And then the family came out and said, oh, that was beautiful. Thank, thank you for that. I don't think anybody else saw that. But he was getting ready to go, and there was something demonic about that guy, and it, 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 it disturbed me. <laughs> and that's when you get into the spiritual battle. A lot of different stories like that, uh, when you're there and you have the gospel message, when people have cognitive issues uh, in these uh, memory units, they, they are open to sometimes the spirit world. And you'll run into, uh, you'll encounter that once in a while, somebody that is being controlled uh, by a spirit. So you always have to be on your toes, and that's part of being in that spiritual battle. Uh, one of my spiritual gifts is evangelism. I love doing one-on-one evangelism. But with that uh, comes the price, and the price is you're going to have some encounters like that that keep you up at night. Uh, so that was, that was really bizarre. It was so, bothered me so much, I had to call my daughter and said, I just had the most disturbing encounter with an individual. And so it's that spiritual battle. But we are called to share the gospel, and we are to do it with gentleness and respect. We're not supposed to, you know, you, you got to believe. If you don't, you're going to hell. Your job, our job is to, you take the message, let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You can't convince anybody. I mean, you can tell them, you know, what your testimony is and persuade them through God's word, but it's the Holy Spirit that's doing all the work. You are nothing more uh, than a vessel. And he says this, when you do it, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so sometimes we have the fears uh, of how people will react because you're going to get a reaction. Let me tell you, you use the name of Jesus, you're going to get a reaction. You're going to get a good reaction. Uh, you're going to get a bad reaction. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, in their hearts. And so we have uh, a couple weeks ago, of course, we talked about fears, uh, sometimes fear of, of poor health. Uh, you got some kind of ache or pain somewhere, afraid to go to the doctor because you're afraid to hear what you, know, what, what, what you might have. Uh, but Paul says, stand firm because of peace. Here in Philippians 4 and verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds uh, in Christ Jesus. And so Satan has a lot of schemes out there. He likes to cause you to doubt. He wants to bring chaos in, into your life. Um, you know, hostility, wants you to be hostile, bitter, revenge, uh, you know, vengeful. Um, but our job is to rest assured that God is sovereign and the battle is already won. And we got to get in that battle. We got to, we need to um, be part of the spiritual battle. Like we were singing in that song in 10,000 years, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's just beginning. You know, I think it's hard for us as human beings to comprehend uh, eternity because we like to have a beginning, we like to have an end. And I think it's, it, I know for me, it's hard to think about, uh, about eternity 
and being there 10,000 years is going to be great, but on the other hand, can you imagine being separated from God for all of eternity? And that, uh, to me, is just, uh, it's just frightening. And so the gospel, the gospel of peace, the, the message is simple. It's childlike faith. It always, it's always about the cross. It's the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you receive him as Lord and Savior, you receive eternal life. And that's the simple gospel message. And I think uh, man or religion has tried to make it a little bit more compli- complicated or complex when, in fact, it's just all about the cross. That's, that's all it is. Now, go to John uh, chapter 11, the gospel of John. And so our job is to press on, to be vigilant, uh, just to keep going, uh, just going one day at a time. And when you say the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world, you're going to get that, you're going to get that uh, reaction because the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts. And God's going to use it. And I was always encouraged when uh, I was being mentored by some older, older guys in the faith. Use as much scripture as you can because that's what God's going to use. God's going to get down into their hearts and God's going to use uh, those passages. And so we often um, judge people by mistakes that they, that they make. Uh, I remember running into somebody somewhere, and they said, well, what do you do? And I told them I was, at the time I was a pastor, and they said, you're, you're a pastor? I remember in eighth grade when you stole those Slim Jims. I can't even believe they allow you to go into a church. And so people like to make, make excuses of why, why they don't go, or they want to uh, point the finger at uh, people that are supposedly you know, holy men of God, holy women of God. When an evangelist falls or a televangelist, I remember when Jim and Tammy Baker, I didn't know who they were. And I had, a, I had the fitness center up there where Dr. Kimball is. And um, guy came in, he goes, oh, one of your boys got himself in trouble. I said, who's one of my boys? Uh, it was Jim Baker. You know, he had an air conditioner in his doghouse and all the stuff that the Bakers had done uh, with their prosperity, with their prosperity money. But I, I, I didn't even know. I went on, I had to go on a computer to Google because I never heard him because I didn't really watch uh, a guy like that. But um, yeah, Jim, Jim and Tammy. So that's what people like to see because it makes them feel better about themselves. And that's why I always encourage folks, when, you, when you're talking to someone uh, about the Lord and put yourself in that, in that position of humility and remind them that I am worse than you because I know better and I still, I still fall short. And then uh, that perhaps will maybe open up a door because the people that I talk to, and I ask them, what, you, what is it that you hate about Christians? They work in a secular office to get a lot of these conversations. And 80, 80 to 90% of the time, they say they think they're better than me. And they're always judging me. They have something to say. And so I always encourage folks to not, not, not to do that, to be reminded it's all about, it's all about God's grace. Um, so we often remember a person about for one sin that they've committed. You know, King David was God's favor. There's a whole bunch of stuff in his bio in Scripture. And we remember him because of his sin with Bathsheba, covering up, uh, uh, trying to cover up the death of, his, of, her, of her husband. And, uh, but David had a tremendous amount of victories uh, in his life. He was a great man of God despite uh, his failures. But the difference between like King David and King Saul was King David always repented. He always went back and said, Lord, I messed up. I got to get right. I got to get right with you. And that's what Psalm 51 is. Psalm 51 is David's repenting of his sin with, ba- sin with Bathsheba. And in there he says, Lord, please wash away my iniquities and cleanse me of my sin because his sin was uh, weighing heavy upon him. Um, so we think about David's mistakes. Jacob stole his brother's, uh, you know, his brother's birthright, but his name was changed to Israel. He became the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He had uh, 12 sons and one daughter. And of course, Peter, uh, we remember Peter because he denied 
the Lord the night before he, he went to the cross. He denied him three times, but we have to also be reminded that he reinstated him. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he came back and he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Three times he gave him the opportunity to reaffirm uh, his faith. But there um, in the upper room, the night before he went to the cross and Peter said, Lord, I will die with you. We remember that. And then he said, you're going to deny me three times. We forget that, you know what? Everybody else said the same thing. And they all said the same thing but we, we remember Peter because Peter became the, you know, the, 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 the focal point of that denial. Uh, Shakespeare said this. He said, the evil that men do lives after them. The good is often interred uh, with their bones. And what about Thomas? Uh, doubting Thomas, we call him. How do we remember Thomas? We, we remember him because uh, he was doubting what was going on. They say, Jesus was here, rose from the dead. I can't. I, got, I don't believe this. I don't believe it. I, gotta have, I see the holes in his hand and his feet and his, in his side. Until I see that, um, you know, I'm not going to believe. And so uh, he was a man of great faith, uh, but we remember him because of his, because of his doubt. And, but in reality, he was just as steadfast as the other uh, 12 apostles, and they all died. They all were martyred, probably with the exception of the apostle John Church. History tells us that everyone was martyred. Uh, we know that James uh, was beheaded. They threw someone else off the, <laughs> the, off the synagogue roof. Here you go. Come on to church, and they threw, threw him off the roof. Peter was uh, crucified upside down because he were taken to crucify him. And he said, I don't deserve to die as my Lord. And they're like, we're going to fix that. And they crucified him uh, upside down. And then, of course, the list goes on. The Apostle John was boiled in oil uh, by the emperor. It freaked him out because he lived. That's when he got exiled to the island of Patmos. And he worked in the salt mines there. And then uh, when a new emperor came uh, to power, uh, John was released. And he went back and he started pastoring again. So uh, church history indicates that John was the only one that didn't die, uh, did not die for, for his faith. John chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 7. And they said to his, then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And so the disciples' inner peace began to wane because of external threats. So there was a little bit of fear coming, coming into their lives. And so uh, one day Jesus was uh, preaching on the far side of Bethany, and the message came that Lazarus was sick. And remember what happened? Jesus said, we'll hang out here a little bit, a little bit longer. Uh, they didn't know why, but Jesus had a plan. John 11, verse 14 and 15. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go uh, to him. You know, it's interesting, the Jews... They couldn't deny that Lazarus was, rose from the dead, so the Jews tried to kill him. They <laughs> tried to kill him again. I always wondered, like, where did Lazarus go? Like, what did he say? Did he have stories? Was he in paradise? And he's like, oh, I can't believe I've got to come back here. It always goes through my head, but we don't know. Of course, Lazarus uh, eventually would, would die again. But the words are shocking when you read that. Uh, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. If you take that out of context, like, Jesus, it's not really a nice Jesus thing to say, but, but he did it for a reason, uh, and the purpose was so that you may believe. He was going to go there. Of course, you know, uh, he's been in the tomb for a couple of days, uh, raised, him, raised him from the dead, and he said this sickness will not end in death, but they didn't pick up on it. And so Jesus proved who he was by fulfilling all the prophecies um, for the Messiah. 
You know, he's going to heal the sick. He's going to raise the dead. And this goes on and on. And all those things that were written about him uh, back in the Old Testament were fulfilled. And a lot of them were in Isaiah 53. And so the Jews took uh, Isaiah 53 out of the Bible because of all the messianic prophecies that, that are there that we have attributed it to Jesus. Because I had a friend who was, uh, was Jewish and then he tried to uh, show uh, his friend that Jesus was the Messiah using his Bible and he got it and he said Isaiah 53 was gone. He said I couldn't believe it. He said I helped my, help, my, whole, my whole list of what I was going to say to him and Isaiah 53 was out of his Bible. And so trying to, uh, I don't know, cover it up but it's, it's, it's there. And so Jesus' track record should remind us of, of uh, who he is, what he's done. He proved who he was. He claimed to be God, claimed to be equal with God, and he proved who he was uh, by rising from the dead. So Thomas, of course, was, uh, had a pessimistic attitude. So what's the difference between a pessimist and an optimist? A pessimist is an optimist with life experience. That's what, that's what it is. So Thomas, a little pessimistic, verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go, uh, also go, so that we may die with him. He said it too. I mean, it goes on. Go to John chapter 14. So now here we see Thomas, who is called uh, Doubting Thomas because of this passage here, um, because of an incident over in chapter 20. Uh, but here he took leadership. He showed commitment to Christ, uh, even to death. So how did, how did he have this kind of peace? Here it is. The disciples had peace because they spent time with Jesus. And same for us today. When you spend time with Jesus, that's what makes a difference. Uh, you remember they were... Uh, teaching in the temple after Jesus rose from the dead and the, the Sanhedrin was getting upset because all these people were following them. And, and it says in there, in Acts, it says, and they took note that they had did what? That they had been with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. And that's uh, something that is so important. John tw uh, 12, 25, Jesus said, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so some of the most creative spirits who ever lived have been of, uh, of a doubtful nature, if you will. There's a woman named uh, Georgia Harkness. She's a theologian and an author. And she wrote a book. It's called The Dark Night of the Soul. And in that book, she describes her struggle with doubt, with depression. And she talks about how she got through those valleys uh, by allowing the Lord, like handing them over to the Lord. Uh, she said, I couldn't change them, so I had to hand them over uh, to him. She had so many doubts and fears and, and a lot of pain in her life. And so she allowed God to speak through her pain, and that's what got, got her through it. And so we know that, that the spiritual battle that I was talking about with uh, the spiritual realm, if you will, uh, fallen angels and so on, but there's also an, in, an, an internal uh, battle that we struggle with. Um, and so we have to also get through that battle and the battle of our emotions. Uh, there is a lot of anxiety today. There's a lot of depression. There's a, there's, there's a lot of, of pain out there uh, in the world and the medications for anxiety are, are through the roof and depression. And uh, it's, just, it's just insane. But people are battling. And I think the world's just becoming a more difficult place uh, to live. A couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit about Job. Uh, Job, of course, uh, another favorite of God. Why did Job lose everything in one day? Because God was bragging on Job to Satan. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then, of course, um, Satan's accusation. That's the whole theme of the book of Job. His accusation is that you, God, can't get anybody to worship you unless you bless them. 
And, that's, and God says, okay, let's see, let's see what happens. And so uh, Job, you know, his life went downhill so very quickly. It's a very painful book. And I realized how painful uh, it was until I taught it verse by verse. And just going on and on and struggling for 40 chapters. And we're rooting for him. Job, it's okay because in chapter, in the end, at the end of your book, it, it gets better. It gets better. But the pain is still there. He lost all his kids. All his kids. God gave him more but he lost all his kids. All his stuff came back. Okay, you got your stuff. But the pain of losing his children, that's never going never gonna to go away. Um, he said this, I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. If I only knew where to find him, if I, if I could only go to his dwelling. And he continued, oh, that I, I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. And in fact, it was Satan who did everything and Job was getting upset with the Lord. But Job had peace and it was grounded in the fact that he knew God was sovereign and that God knew his heart. And that's something that we have to be assured of. Like, you know what? I can't change it. God knows everything. He knows everything and, I, and you got to get to a point where um, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. So sometimes I think we feel like Job. We have doubt. We have struggles, depression. Elijah was a great man of God, another one of God's favorite. He was taken up. He didn't even have to die. He was taken up into a, a chariot of fire. He had a lot of miracles, um, had a tremendous ministry. And you know the whole story there in First Kings. Uh, it was just Elijah and the 450 prophets of, of Baal. And that's where he prayed that seven-second prayer. And fire came down from heaven and they killed all those uh, false prophets. And then the queen put a contract out on his life. And he went running and hiding in the woods. Uh, he was afraid after all this that God had done in his life. And so she threatens him and he goes, runs and hides in the woods because he's just a man, just, just, just like myself. And he had, he had struggles. You know, David, David, as a young boy, killed Goliath. Goliath was this giant warrior. And you'll see victory after victory in David's life uh, because he relied on the Lord against incredible odds over and over again. But as you read through the book of Psalms, you'll see David's struggles. You'll see uh, the fears that he has. Uh, but he had that inner peace, knowing that God knew everything. He said in Psalm 121, he said, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. And now, what about the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah had a horrible, difficult ministry. Jeremiah is often referred to as the uh, weeping prophet. Um, God says, go give him the message, give him the message, tell him this, tell him this. And they always, they beat him up, they imprisoned him, they, they dumped, him, dumped him down in the well, and it goes on and on. And then when the Babylonians came, he got taken off into exile. It just The guy couldn't get a break. And, um, you know, he, he had doubts and wondered if it was worth it all. And, uh, but he, he, was, he was a man that knew the truth, and he did what God told him to do, even when the circumstances were uh, unfavorable. And John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist? Uh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one greater born of men than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was there. Jesus came to get baptized. That was the beginning of his ministry. And he said in John 1, 29, you remember, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, here comes the Lamb of God. It takes away the sin of the world. He was there. He baptized him, heard God's voice from heaven. A dove came down in the form of the Holy Spirit. And there's Jesus, the Son of God. There's the picture of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture, but there's one example of the Trinity being there. And so, John knew he was, and he says, I'm not even worthy to, un to untie his, his sandals. And then John was arrested. He was put in prison. 
uh, for telling King Herod that he was in sin. So he put him in prison. His girlfriend, wife, whoever she was, uh, Herodias, I think her name was. Anyway, she wanted, she wanted him dead. So he was afraid, Herod, so he just stuck John in prison. So John's discouraged, and he's having doubts. And he says a message back to his disciples. He said, hey, go ask Jesus if he's the one, or should we look for somebody else? Talking about you know, being the Messiah. Because they all believed that Messiah was going to come, overthrow the Roman government, and the Jews were going to rule and reign over everybody. That was, that was the plan. And now here comes Jesus preaching love and forgiveness, and they started to get a little discouraged, uh, uh, if you will. And you know, Josephus tells, tells us that, um, for those of you who don't know, Josephus was a first century Jewish historian who was alive at the time of Jesus and the time of Paul, and his writings are extremely accurate. So Josephus talks about um, Judas. He said Judas was a zealot. The zealots were the ones who wanted to overthrow the government. They were looking for an end. So they, they had Judas infiltrate the inner circle of Jesus. And when Judas realized, like, no, nah, this guy isn't going to be the Messiah, and that's when he betrayed him. And, of course, you know, uh, the rest of the story. But what else is interesting, you know, there's two occasions to talk about um, Judas. One says uh, that he hung himself. And the other says that he fell on the rocks and all his intestines spilled out. Josephus says that um, Judas was obese, like extre- extremely obese. So if you put those two passages together, he hung himself, the rope broke, and he fell down, and all his guts spilled out. Just a side, just a side note, because it's question. People have said that. You, in one of the seminary classes, they give you these passages. You have to, is this a contradiction? They try to disprove people to try to disprove the Bible. So they give you these contradictory, supposedly contradictory um, passages. So you have to pull them all together and say, no, this is what it means. And that actually was one of the, uh, one of the passages that, um, that they had given us. So John the Baptist, he had doubts, um, you know, and the, and the list goes on. And now here's the occasion where <clears throat> Doubting Thomas gets his term, Doubting Thomas. And that's where it comes from. They still use it today. You know, spring cleaning comes from the Jews because they had to get all the leaven out of the house for the, ho- for, the, uh, for the holiday. So they cleaned the house inside and out. That's where your spring cleaning uh, comes from. You're not worth your weight in salt. You know where that comes from? First century uh, Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Salt was a hot commodity. And so you went and you traded salt. You bartered for that. Uh, so you're not worth your weight in salt. And that's where John the Apostle was working on the island of Patmos, in the salt mines. They were, they were digging up all, all the salt there. But there, Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, and here's, here it is. Jesus, Jesus had been with them for 24-7, uh, three and a half years. That was his whole ministry, just three and a half years. Uh, and he, he accomplished so much. The Apostle John said, even if you wrote down everything, all the books in the world probably couldn't, couldn't you know, hold all these miracles that Jesus had done. As you read through the Gospels, and people are trying to grab at him, touch, just to touch his, touch his coat and, and get in there, getting healed. And it was just a, uh, you know, just a crazy, crazy madhouse. And we have the scriptures, we read them, but there's also thousands of letters uh, from the thir- first century that have survived. And it's like, you know, uh, one cousin to another cousin. Hey, we're down in Galilee. So this Jesus guy, he, he was touching, raising people from the dead and blind people were seen and on and on. And so besides the scripture that we have, there's thousands of other writings that are there. But anyway, Jesus uh, had been with them all that time. And he said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And they weren't comprehending it. And so he gives them the promise in John, John 14, because he, now he senses they're they're, they're getting upset. And he said, do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back so that you can be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Doubting Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus gave us that promise in verse 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, doubting Thomas, and that's where, that's where it comes from. Um, but he struggled with doubt again. And it, it, I think if we're honest, we struggle uh, with doubt. Um, you know, the Christian walk is not always a bed of roses, a bowl of cherries, or a walk down easy street. We understand that. Uh, but when everything is going your way, you better check yourself because you may be on the wrong road. <laughs> you know, you should have these struggles. We have to accept the fact that some days you're the pigeon and some days you're the statue. It's just life. That's the way it is. Turn to Psalm, uh, Psalm 13. Another Psalm of David. You know, you read about... Um, David's the most famous psalm, of course, is the 23rd psalm. But you read Psalm 22, it's a prophecy about crucifixion written a thousand years before it was even used as a form of, a form of punishment. It wasn't even invented yet. And Psalm 22 uh, was written about crucifixion. Psalm 23, uh, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then Psalm 24 talks about uh, the coming kingdom and all the glories that are going to be there. David said, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep uh, in death. And I think um, sometimes we have that same prayer. How long? David asked God four times in two verses. How long? How long? How long? And I know you're, when you're going through something, you keep asking, Lord, how long must I endure this? The Apostle Paul uh, did the same thing, and a, uh, a thorn in his side. He asked the Lord three times, and what was his answer? My grace is sufficient for you. And so uh, sometimes we wonder if God hears us. Why does God want me to, to suffer? Why is God not answering my prayers? And we have to rest again in the fact that God is sovereign and he knows what's going on in your life, and he's got a plan and a purpose. We just got to let go uh, and give it to him, but Satan will use it. He'll plant seeds in your, in your, uh, in your head of uh, doubt, confusion, depression, and anger that leads to bitterness, and Hebrews talks about that. When you have that anger and you don't let it go, a bitter seed gets planted in your heart, and then it grows and it bears bitter fruit, and you become a bitter, angry person, and you're going to blow up at the wrong people. You're going to be just... Uh, you're going to have a, a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bitter fruit. It's going to bear fruit that's not the kind that you want to have. Now go to Psalm 6. Psalm 6 and verse 3. And he says here, My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? How long? It's a highly emotional statement. He's wrestling with his doubts. He's wrestling internally. And he wants, uh, he wants God to answer his prayer. Uh, but God is always, he's always doing something. Now, Dowling Thomas, now go to John, John 20 and verse 27. Thomas found sympathy uh, from Jesus. That's an, uh, there's your answer for your next, uh, your next line there. Uh, Thomas needs to understand that if you put both feet in your mouth, you won't have a leg to stand on. Uh, so he was always sometimes saying the wrong thing. But he found sympathy and assurance from the Lord. And um, this passage here. Now, Jesus comes back, and Thomas is here at this time. He said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting, and believe. And so Jesus spoke to Thomas of someone who just had, he had sincere faith, 
Um, but he just, he wanted some answers. And so Jesus came back and, you know, helped him through that. In verse 28, he says, my Lord, my Lord and my God. And so that's his answer. And so uh, Thomas went on uh, to become a, a, a great evangelist. The church tradition tells us that he took the gospel to India and uh, it, it, it spread throughout there. And so he got the assurance and he got it from the Lord. And so sometimes doubts will stimulate our faith. It'll cause us to dig, look a little bit more. Um, you know, I'm always looking for something uh, that I didn't know. I'm looking for something in the scripture that I did not know previously. I want to dig, I want to find something, and I want to share it with people and just, um, you know, just to help them reassure uh, their faith. But doubt is something I think we all, we all struggle with. A.W. Tozer, author and theologian, described the unusual characteristics of a Christian who lives by faith. And here's what he said. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one he's never seen, talks familiar every day with someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to become full, admits he is wrong so he can be, de- be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst, dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, knows that which passes all knowledge, end quote. And so to live by faith means embracing a lifestyle that contradicts most of life, often causing us to, uh, to have doubts. But we have to embrace the words of Jesus. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's people like us have not seen Jesus physically. And so we have to stand firm in the gospel of peace and hold on to that peace that transcends all understanding. And as Paul says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You have the good news, you got to take the good news there. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. Thank you for this morning and the opportunity to look into your word. And Father, help us uh, to to share the good news, to take it wherever you send us. Uh, Give us those opportunities to talk about what you've done in each of our lives. And Father, help us to bring you honor and glory in all that we do. I pray all these things in the matchless name of your son, the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.